That sound you just heard was the ground beneath the Tim Hortons Museum in Hamilton, Ontario, collapsing and falling deep into the Earth's core after the sky fell on top of it. Among the victims, North America's leading heartthrob state-level pot dealer and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who was pulled into the pits of hell, hoves first, where he was reunited with his partner in crime, the Dark Lord of Pot Jokes, Seth Rogen. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the unthinkable has happened, and the world is coming to an end, as Canada has legalized recreational cannabis. May God help us all, the end is nigh. Hell hath frozen over, and pigs can fly. (laughs) Just kidding. Canada's gonna be fine. On to this week's episode of Critical Grass. Forget it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating. Mind-expanding. Safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing. The hula hoop of the jet generation. And as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical Grass. I'm from Toronto, Ontario in Canada, and I am a medical cannabis uh, patient and also an advocate uh, and volunteer for Normal Canada. Oh, Canada. You just heard not the first, but the second national anthem of the land of the maple leaf, now the land of the pot leaf. Though in some provinces, the pot leaf image has actually been banned. Yes, that is true. We will get into that in just a bit. For those of you who haven't been following the news, as of October 17th of 2018, we now have a second country and the first G7 nation to have a legalized adult-use cannabis market, and by default, it is the largest national cannabis market in the world. California, which actually has a larger population than Canada, is technically not a country, though it certainly feels like one. In the U.S. versus Canada race to legalization, the Canucks win this one by being the first North American country to implement recreational cannabis on a federal level. Yes, coast to coast, province to province, territory to territory, adults in Canada can now legally partake in the ganjas and other forms of the wacky tabacky. This, after Justin Trudeau and his entourage decided to go full throttle and announce legalization earlier this year. Much like in the United States, however, the laws aren't entirely uniform and vary from province to province. To help us navigate through these recent earth-shaking events, I decided to contact Normal Canada. For the uninitiated, Normal stands for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. They're a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit organization whose aim is to move public opinion sufficiently to achieve the legalization of non-medical marijuana in the United States so that the responsible use of cannabis by adults is no longer subject to penalty. 
According to their website, Normal supports the removal of all criminal penalties for the private possession and responsible use of marijuana by adults, including the cultivation for personal use, and the casual non-profit transfers of small amounts. They also support the development of a legally controlled cannabis market. They have chapters in all 50 U.S. states, as well as chapters in New Zealand, Ireland, the U.K., France, and Canada, where I was put in touch with Andy Lee, who is the regional coordinator for the Ontario chapter. I asked him about the history and activities of the organization in the Great White North. Uh, so Normal Canada, the, uh, the cha- Normal Canada the chapter, um, has been around since, I believe, 1978. So we've been around for approximately uh, 40 years um, uh, I, I believe we um, we had legal sign off uh, from the uh, the originating American normal chapter um, to be able to use and um, uh, basically uh, follow the, the the mission and goals for normal as an organization um, as there are quite a number of uh, international chapters with normal uh, and our mandate has always been about uh, fair and reasonable uh, marijuana law reform. Uh, so we're, we're constantly trying to push for uh, laws that involving cannabis uh, that are beneficial for everyone. So in Canada, the government and uh, health department has right now uh, strict control in terms of medical marijuana access, which uh, a lot of people find uh, in- incredibly limiting, confusing, and difficult to, to access medical cannabis. And because of that, normal as an organization, we try to advocate uh, a more uh, inclusive and less monopoly-based uh, industry. So we very much advocate in, in service of medical patients, users, recreational users, as well as uh, the bigger, more established kind of corporate uh, cannabis entities. So again, our, our approach is to try to have a more kind of uh, diverse and rounded uh, cannabis industry. A diverse and rounded industry that includes patients, recreational users, and businesses. This isn't just for hippies, art teachers, and the trailer park boys, folks. They seem to be going for diversity, which Canada is quite full of. After all, it is a nation of immigrants. It's a relief to hear that they're quite open and upfront about what they want to focus on. Cannabis law is beneficial to all, ideally out of strict control of the state, at least for medical use, which, according to Normal, has been limiting, confusing, difficult for patient access. An adult use scheme can certainly help remedy that. However, legalization is still in its infancy, and the laws will be changing over the course of the next several years until the situation stabilizes somewhat. I wanted to know about what motivated Andy to join Normal and help the cause in the first place. So my experience with cannabis is, um, you know, like most people, I, I, I kind of tried it recreationally when I was uh, in my teenage and uh, university years. But uh, leading towards my 30s, I kind of came back to cannabis as a need for a treatment for my, my uh, anxiety and depression. So I became an, a, a medical cannabis patient. And um, I, I, again, like I, I started kind of seeing the more I kind of started researching and getting involved in all, all kind of information and manners of cannabis, that there was a lot of disparity that uh, a lot of the people that have been pushing for legalization have been, you know, 
hitting up a lot of difficulties within the government, within the regulation, uh, social acceptability. Uh, there's a lot of stigma behind cannabis. So, yeah, like that. Um, it was my experience as a medical patient that I felt cannabis was an incredibly effective and viable alternative to pharmaceutical medications, which I had al- also been on over the years. And yeah, like I, it's, it's something that I deeply believe benefits me. Uh, so I, I in turn felt the need to really try to champion this, to, to, to really kind of change and break the stigma that, you know, this is a gateway drug or that, you know, like you become lazy and unproductive. Uh, just a lot of like, just the, the stigma that has been created by the war on drugs effectively over the last how many decades, I think has been uh, very detrimental for um, actual research and studies with cannabis. And the thing with cannabis is also that it, it affects so many different areas of uh, society, like culture, uh, health, uh, food, um, industry. Uh, the, the, the potential for cannabis is, is huge. And uh, yeah, again, I, I, it's something that I firmly believe in. Like many other people, Andy dabbled in cannabis as a teen, but discovered its therapeutic properties as an adult trying to treat various conditions. In this case, anxiety and depression, where pharmaceuticals weren't really effective. I wonder how many people can relate to that experience. And before anyone tries to poo-poo claims about anxiety and depression and thinks they're just low bars to enter cannabis treatment, let me just say from personal experience, they are no laughing matter. Both are serious conditions with potentially deadly consequences, and cannabis is effective in treating them. Mental illnesses cannot be treated as something you just tough out. This buck-up buttercup mentality is precisely the wrong attitude to take. Just ask Anthony Bourdain, or Chester Bennington, or Robin Williams, or anyone suffering from mental illness who couldn't take it anymore and saw suicide as the only way out. Or perhaps ask a military veteran who has taken cannabis to successfully treat post-traumatic stress disorder. One of the noticeable effects of taking cannabis is euphoria or uplifted mood. You're far less likely to be depressed, much less cause physical harm to yourself when properly cannabinated. Now how is that a bad thing? Yet there still is a stigma around cannabis, and Andy saw this as something that needed to be changed. Combine that with the huge potential for other aspects of the plant, and you have a driven, passionate activist on your hands. I wanted to know what his experience was like in the Canadian healthcare system, and whether it was easy to seek out treatment. So even even though we have, uh, over the years, I mean, it's changed um, uh, slightly in terms of like the actual structure and program of the medical marijuana uh, access, it, the stigma is it, it was difficult to get prescribed um, and and basically uh, become uh, a medical patient, for me at least in my experiences. Uh, my family GP definitely was uh, very adamant about cannabis at the time, that it wasn't effective. And they were more than happy to, uh, you know, prescribe all sorts of pharmaceutical uh, prescriptions to me. So I, I actually had to seek out doctors who um, had knowledge and experience in prescribing medical cannabis in order to become a medical patient, which I thought was incredibly um, uh, frustrating, to say the least. 
you, you know, when, when the Canadian government kind of, uh, develops these programs, it should be about, uh, making it available to people in need. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I felt like the general stigma and just the, the awareness of cannabis as medication at the time just wasn't, wasn't far along enough, um, that it was being taken seriously. So that was definitely a big frustration. Um, and it, it's another reason why I feel uh, the need to, to really champion the effectiveness of cannabis. I, I understand it's, it's, it affects people differently, but I, I again, like to, to completely discount and discredit the efficacy of cannabis, I, I think is um, a, a little unfair and uh, to some degree naive. So Canada, for a good while at least, was like most other countries in that the first line of treatment was pharmaceuticals, as awareness of cannabis as medicine was very limited. Andy states that it's naive to discredit cannabis. Given the evidence we have of its demonstrable effects, I'd say it's downright stupid to not use something whose side effects don't include lethal overdose and thoughts of suicide, a claim that many of the most popular pharmaceuticals cannot make. So what's the situation now in Canada if you're a patient and you would like to try some cannabis? Okay, so in Canada, we're moving towards legalization on October 17th. Now, prior to that, the only way to get legal access to cannabis is to become a medical patient. Um, there, there have been three medical programs um, over the years to, to provide medical marijuana to, to, um, patients, uh, that are, that are, uh, in need of cannabis, uh, as, as a medicine. Uh, the MMAR program, the MMPR program, which I am a part of, and then the later res- re- um, revised ACMPR program. Now come October 17th, um, cannabis is going to be legal through, uh, recreational access. Um, but again, these, all these channels, all these medical programs are set up through Health Canada's sanctioned, uh, licensed producer program. So it's essentially government controlled, uh, growing, uh, and, and producing and distribution of cannabis. And this is going to be the way, um, uh, moving forward uh, with recreational uh, cannabis as well. Uh, come October 17th, the only way to get um, legal recreational cannabis is to buy cannabis online through a licensed producer. There's been discussion that after April of next year, 2019, they're going to allow for private um, dispensary retail locations. So the Canadian healthcare system was responsible for providing access to patients before, Now, with recreational cannabis, the government is still in control, as shops and dispensaries have to be sanctioned by them first. This is not without its problems, and people are already complaining of low-quality products, a limited range of products where only flour and tinctures can be purchased, incorrect weights being sold, and an overall sterilization of the culture, just to name a few. But changes are on the way, and come April of next year, private shops will be allowed to operate, and edible cannabis products will also be available for purchase, though you can legally make your own under the current laws. I asked Andy what are some of the other problems cannabis patients and users will initially experience with the rollout of legalization. Uh, Certainly. Uh, Well, like uh, many states that have legalized in America, where uh, each state kind of uh, mandates their own policies, in Canada, 
each province is is kind of handling their own provincial laws. So it's it's creating a very confusing and and questionable unrolling unraveling of legalization. There's in in Ontario, uh, we recently had elections where um, the Conservative Party has now gained uh, a majority government, and they've basically struck down. Uh, a lot of the policies and uh, plan essentially to to roll out for legalization. So there's been sudden, like very abrupt and sudden changes to how the government is approaching uh, legalization. Uh, most notably, where you can consume cannabis uh, recreationally come October 17th has been a bit of a moving target. Now they're saying cannabis can now be consumed anywhere where tobacco is is uh, acceptable and, and, and legal to consume. So in parks, uh, in designated smoking areas, etc. Um, another area is that hasn't been discussed is designation of safe spaces. So for example, uh, vapor lounges. There, there are a number of vapor lounges across the country and also in, in Toronto where I live currently, where if they're out and about and they want to be able to uh, either medicate or consume cannabis recreationally, there's a space where they can kind of enjoy that and, and, and also, you know, be in a controlled environment where they can be safe and um, be able to uh, enjoy cannabis without uh, affecting other people around them. I believe that's deeply necessary. Um, also, as a member of Normal, that's something that we, we try to champion is the need for designated safe spaces, much in the same way that uh, bars are, are, are designated safe spaces to consume alcohol. They're, they're regulated in the sense that you have to get um, a liquor license to be able to allow patrons to consume alcohol. Bartenders are, are trained to kind of spot uh, consumers who are, who are too uh, drunk to, you know, have another drink or, or, or to, you know, take their keys and, and, and uh, get on the road, that kind of thing. Similar situations with um, people who consume cannabis, like safe spaces are, are, are Definitely something that uh, needs to be addressed. So th- the government is going to be providing government sanctioned uh, licensed producers are going to be providing um, cannabis. The average cost of uh, dried flour per gram, I believe they're targeting it is approximately $10 Canadian per gram, uh, which is significantly higher than what can average on average be found in the gray and black market. So the idea that the government is controlling um, cannabis sales as a means to stamp out the gray and the black market is going to be ineffective in the sense. And it also makes it um, incredibly uh, much more difficult uh, financially from, from uh, a consumer standpoint to be able to afford cannabis at $10 a gram. Andy mentioned some pressing issues here. Of course, the vast majority of people want to be on the right side of the law and would prefer to not go to jail, especially for something that's just been made legal. Cannabis consumption, at least for now, is getting the same treatment as cigarette consumption, which, in case you haven't noticed, is quite heavily frowned upon in North America, and the number of places where you can smoke has dwindled in the past couple of decades. If someone cannot or does not want to use cannabis at home, there must be a safe alternative for them. We've done it with alcohol in the form of bars and restaurants, so something similar should be available to cannabis users as well. 
The number of such establishments is yet to be determined, but judging by the revenue generated within the first couple of days since legalization, I think it's safe to say a lot of consumption lounges will be needed to meet demand, and that, unfortunately, will take time. The same applies to the black market, which, despite all the efforts, won't disappear that quickly. Just like in California, excise taxes are rather high and people would rather pay their homie half the price for something they're more familiar with than get government-approved weed that comes from a factory farm. What are some of the other not-so-wonderful laws coming into force? In British Columbia, while legally allowed to grow plants at home, you cannot do so in a place visible to the public off the property. So if you have a patio or a garden that the general public can see from the sidewalk, you are out of luck. Otherwise, expect to pay a $5,000 fine and spend up to three months in jail for the infraction. In Manitoba and Quebec, growing at home isn't allowed at all, despite the federal government being okay with it. There you can be fined several thousand dollars for a single offense. Yet another head-scratcher is having to buy your cannabis through liquor stores in Nova Scotia. Though cannabis is much safer than alcohol, it's easy to be tempted into combining the two, and that can quickly lead to headaches, vomiting, poor judgment, and big regrets the next day, to say the least. It's also a little ironic that a substance that is shown to be effective in treating alcoholism can only be bought in a place actively promoting alcoholism. And my favorite new bad law, again in Quebec, is the ban on selling anything with a cannabis leaf image. The regulations state the following. No name, logo, distinguishing guise, design, image, or slogan that is not directly associated with cannabis, a brand of cannabis, the SQDC, or Quebec Cannabis Society, a cannabis producer, may be used on a facility, vehicle, poster, or an object that is not cannabis, but that could imply an indirect link. In Quebec, it will not be permitted, for example, to sell t-shirts with the printed picture of a cannabis leaf. Yes, because a picture of a leaf will lead people to think cannabis is okay to use, as demonstrated by their government's approval. I wanted to get Andy's take on this as a citizen of Canada and someone active in the cannabis community. Every province is dealing with how they want to regulate and promote cannabis differently. As someone who's in the cannabis community, I feel that's a little heavy-handed and almost hypocritical, especially when you compare it to advertising with alcohol. Um, a pot leaf, I mean, it's a leaf, it's a plant. Uh, so to ban it, I, I think, is, is kind of silly. That said, I, I can kind of see why they want to try to limit the advertising to make it less enticing and, you know, in the name of safety. Um, however, I, I think it's a little heavy handed and, you know, laws like these and, you know, regulations like these are likely going to have to be changed because I personally don't think they're, they're realistic and, uh, you know, how's that going to, going to be enforceable? I, I, I think, uh, you know, law enforcement have enough uh, resource issues then to have to kind of enforce someone wearing a, a pot leaf t-shirt or something like that, you know? So, you know, it's it's about breaking stigma, uh, you know, and it's going to it's gonna take a while. There, there's going to be a lot of uh, little baby steps and uh, back and forth, give and take. So, you know, as a Canadian, I'm. This, I, I feel like this is an incredibly exciting time. 
there's definitely a lot of restrictions and kind of workarounds that we're going to have to deal with. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a bit of a, a moving target, I believe. Andy doesn't seem too worried about the initial problems many Canadian cannabis users will face as he thinks the laws will change in the coming months and years. So what does that mean for organizations like Normal Canada? They did reach their main goal of federal legalization, after all, but there are a lot of other issues that still need addressing. So obviously, our mission is no longer going to be about fighting for legalization. It's going to be more about uh, reforming the laws that are in place that we feel um, needs changing, needs adjustments, uh, needs reassessing. Um, one of the things that we want to really push is for uh, getting rid of past criminal con- uh, convictions for nonviolent uh, criminal um, cannabis charges. Statistics will show that many ca- cannabis crimes uh, on paper affects people in the cannabis community uh, who have been fighting for legalization this whole time and also uh people of color and in minority groups. And, you know, if we're moving towards legalization, if cannabis is going to be legal, it is uh, incredibly unfair for people to be affected and essentially uh, locked out of, you know, the, the, the upcoming legal market. Again, a lot of the people who have cannabis convictions are the people that uh, have been fighting and have been advocating for uh, fair access and, and legal access. Uh, so that's, that's, that again is, uh, one of the things that, that normal is going to be championing. Again, trying to get rid of taxes for medical patients, breaking down stigma, and also showing how diverse and talented the cannabis community is. One of the ways that we believe is an effective way to break down the stigma in cannabis is to show how commonplace it actually is. I think I think cannabis and cannabis use has been taboo and has been made taboo uh, like all these years because of like the war on drugs and how it's been viewed by by law enforcement. But the reality is there's there's a huge part of the population in our country, at least, uh, that consume cannabis and have been consuming cannabis, uh, you know, in in, in the closet, I guess uh, you could say. And um, yeah, like it, it, it permeates so many different areas of society and culture and history. Um, and it has the potential to affect many industries on an economic level. So um, by, by showcasing what cannabis actually is and, and what people can do with cannabis, um, I think is a very exciting thing. And it's also um, a, a great way, again, to uh, break down some of the stereotypes and stigmas of uh, cannabis culture, I suppose. So in other words, normal Canada isn't disappearing anytime soon, as there are plenty of laws to change and stereotypes and stigmas to destroy. Any words of advice to activists in other parts of the world still fighting an uphill battle? Uh, as someone who's in the cannabis community, I, I deeply believe in uh, the potential uh, 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 in cannabis, and I, I would say just persistence is key. My my belief in in what cannabis can do and its potential has has always kind of kept me to just keep going uh, and and build your community 
in Toronto, I feel like we have an amazing community uh, of cannabis uh, professionals and, and even um, cannabis consumers. Stay informed and, and be vocal in terms of what you feel are practical and just laws that your government is trying to promote and push. And if we're interested in contacting Andy, where do we go to find him? Uh, you can... Do- probably generally reach me through uh, Normal Canada, info at uh, normal.ca. We're also on uh, social media, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Many thanks again to Andy Lee of Normal Canada for taking the time to chat with us, and we wish him a happy legalization celebration. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. That does it for episode number six. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share with your cohorts, co-conspirators, collaborators, accomplices, and any other guilty parties. My name, as usual, is Bogdan. Hope to see you next week. I'll certainly be here. Until then, eh?